how much more. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. How much more. It is always wonderful to be here. Your pastors and Pastor David was and always shall be, Pastor Brownie. Some of the best friends we ever had in life. And we've uh, had the privilege, we've been so humbled to be able to walk with them all as family and to walk with many of you for, for some decades now. You know, as you grow older, you realize that the things that make you rich in life are not the things that you possess, Jesus said this, but in part they are your family and your friends, the connections that you have made and um, how you develop those relationships, how you let them become what God wants them to be. Church is uh, essentially an exercise in learning how to express Jesus Christ. It requires a profound connection with Him, but no less profound, yet in some sense mundane, connections with each other. So that both are mutually supportive. Our relationship with Him supports our relationship with you. You know, you're familiar with Ephesians 5. We've talked about this. Now, I'm probably not going to say anything too, too different than what I've ever said before, but this is what's stirring in my heart as, as I come to church. The scriptures about being a good husband and being a good wife, what they are in Ephesians chapter 5, are summed up at the end of the chapter and say, Paul says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. A marriage is only what a marriage is because Christ and the church exist. And in the practice of our everyday life, our family life, we don't just learn about ourselves, we don't just learn about our spouse, but we learn about him, we learn about his relationship with the church, and hopefully, trustfully, we learn what we're supposed to be as the church. So this, you, you, you need to think about church as your lifelong pursuit for your doctorate degree in Christianity. You've got tens of thousands of hours of walked out study ahead of you. This is not over at 12 o'clock when you go home. This is not over at the end of the year. You don't ever get so far away from the rest of your class that you know more or know less than they do. You, you, have, to, you have to work at becoming Christ. And this is what this verse is going to read that we're going to read in a minute. And you, you, you come to the fact, like you have, like I have, you come to the realization that no matter, as Pastor John said, no matter what you learn, no matter what you know, you cannot do this in your own flesh. You cannot do this in your own soul. You cannot do this by your own strength. Disciplined Christianity that is not rooted in a relationship with the Spirit of the Lord ends up as nothing more than a sense of self-righteousness. You get better at something than you used to be, and because you are, you think you're better than somebody else who's not as good as you. It requires an intimate, yet sometimes a confusing walk with the Spirit of the Lord while you grow, while you increase, while you, while you develop your spiritual capacities, and while you, while you practice your faith on each other. While you practice your gifts on each other, while you practice your gifts on your job, on your extended family, on those that are born again and on those that are not born again. You practice your faith. You make mistakes. Sometimes it's received. Sometimes it's resented. All in all, it's still school. 
It's still learning. It's still practice. It's still, it still gives you an opportunity to go beyond a C minus in spirituality. It's still opportunity to let you go beyond to B plus. Most of us grew up in a culture, at least I did. Maybe they've, I don't think they have. They grew up in a world where, you know, somehow, somehow some brainiac figured out that the whole world works off of a sign system, you know, off of the bell curve. And that in any given group, there are these people that are these smart, and there are these people that are not these smart, and the middle class, the middle group up there, whatever it is, is the norm. So, like when I was in grade seven, I couldn't have figured this out in my head. Maybe I told you this, but somewhere along the line, I, I learned how to walk into the class and see how smart everybody else was. And I knew that if I really busted my butt, I could make an A. But I also knew that if I really busted my butt, I wouldn't have time to play with my friends. So, so it wasn't really an A. An A, God forgive me for this, had no personal value to me. I didn't want to look like I was just, you know, being, being snivelly to the teacher, sucking up to the teacher. I, I wanted to be with the class. I wanted to fit in. So I could look around and I could tell what everybody else could or would do. So I knew how much to study to be right in the middle of the bracket. So we were getting, we were getting C's sometimes at 59 and 60 percent. That was okay with me because it was in the middle of the group. Church ain't like that. Church ain't like that. Spirituality is not like that because it says there comes a day when Jesus Christ is set up on the horizon. He's set up on the horizon. He's the one that casts the shadow. It says this in the book of Acts. And that everybody is judged by him. So you're judged by, by your relationship with him. Not, not by what nobody else wanted to do anyway. Not, not by what the rest of the crowd would tolerate. You're not going to be judged by how well you fit into that non-discriminate, not black, not white, but just pale gray group of C-level spiritual believers. Because he knows what you're capable of. Beyond that, he knows what he's capable of on the inside of you. He knows that what you can't grasp, what you can't get, you can never preach like Jonathan. You can never understand like Tracy Harris. You can never prophesy like Tracy Harris. You can never be this. You can never be that. He says, you don't need to be that. You need to be you. And I know how to work into you and make you the best you you can possibly be. So you're not going to be judged by what anybody else did or didn't do, who they were, who they weren't, what their capacities were. You're going to be, you're going to be measured by him, not just the way he lived his life, but measured by him as he worked in you and through you, and whether you received it and walked up to it, lived up to it. This is, this is, true, for, this is true for us all. It's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for the Presbyterians, it's true for the Anglicans, it's true for everybody. So we all have to say, I'm going to push myself to have a relationship with Christ, knowing full well that I cannot have that relationship with Christ out of my own intellect, out of my traditions. I can't live vicariously because I go to a good church. And so I go to a spiritual church, so everything's okay. I'm okay. I'm in a spiritual church. I can't, I can't do that. I have to learn how to center 
on who he is on the inside of me and live up to that. Father, we're so grateful that when we are weak, you are strong in us, Lord Jesus. You do this through your word. You do this through your spirit. We ask you to work in us all, both the will and to do of your good pleasure. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill by your spirit my heart, my mind, my mouth with your thoughts, your words, your affections, your directions, that you would cause all of us to hear not what David Mack says, but what you say to them by your spirit. May the receiving end of your spirit that dwells within them, may he grasp and unveil to their own hearts and to their own souls how your truth, how your word applies to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm not a linguist. I'm not even a scholar, but I can read a little bit of English. So, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 15. And I know that I've, I know that I've said this. I've got the ESV, but it's not going to make any significant difference. This is telling us how to grow up right here. And it says, rather speaking the truth in love, which, which requires a comment, because so far, though you know this is true, you fundamentally essentially believe that your spiritual growth is hinged on what you hear. And that's not actually completely true. If hearing the truth made you grow up, we would all be fully mature. It's not hearing the truth, it's speaking the truth. It's the things that you say, and I'm not particularly talking about your faith's confession right here. I'm talking about telling your spouse the truth. I'm talking about telling your spouse the truth according to God's Word. I'm talking about the skill, the discipline, the strength, and the humility that's required to know when, to know how, to draw lines, to close doors, to open doors, to make boundaries, to remove boundaries. To do it with such a meekness and a humility that you know you haven't got the ability to enforce what you said, you haven't got the capacity to stand by yourself and you can't make anybody do anything but sort of like live or die, you're going to tell the truth with nothing to gain from it. You're not doing it because you like you. You're doing it because it's the truth. Those are the truths that you own. Those are the truths that shape your life. Those are the schools God has put into your life to make you the best version of you that you could be. They are patently unfair. They are patently unfair. That's why we don't all fight the same battles. We don't all have the same issues. We don't all have the same thorns in our flesh tormenting us. You get thorns, you get people, you get boundaries, you get barriers. Not because you make good choices or bad choices. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. That's sort of irrelevant. What happens is what God makes out of them when He brings all these people into your heart, when He brings all these people into your life. And you have to make choices then because of who they are about who you're going to be. I don't always like the people in my life. 
Which should not be a surprise because I don't always like me. And I don't think you always like you. I don't think you always live up to what you think is the best version of you. I think that's human nature. So he brings people into your life that says, by facing what's not perfect in somebody else, you face what's not perfect in you. But you have to draw a line. You have to make a stand. You have to say, this is the truth. This is the objective truth. This is not the truth because it's my opinion. This is not the truth because I like it. This is not the truth because it's my preference. Like it or lump it, this is the truth. It's an objective truth that I've chosen to accept. So you grow up. In fact, that's what the previous verse said. So that you're not children taken to and fro by everything that you hear. You grow up because you speak the truth. But you speak the truth in love. I had a friend one time, he said this. I don't know if I can quote him. I've never forgotten that he said, you have to speak the truth in love, but not so much in your idea of love that people don't realize they've heard the truth. You can't be so gentle about it that you've just chosen not to offend somebody that you let them think what they want to think. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of a lot of things. Sometimes you don't know what to do. But this is not even the point for the day. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. I wish it said some ways. Because I'm okay tithing. I'm okay tithing. I'm not okay singing in public. That's a joke. You weren't supposed to look at me like I don't blame you. Now my feelings are hurt. Why did God bring all you people into my life? You've so disappointed me. If I only had better people in my church, I could be happy. If my wife was a better person and didn't do things like that, it'd be okay. If my wife was just more spiritual, she could both give the tongue and interpret the tongue. But no, I have to suffer. I have to do all this because you're all in my life and now I'm humiliated. Poor, poor, pitiful me. It's good to laugh, okay? Because <laughs> I tell you, there are some aspects about each of our lives that Jesus does not take as seriously as you think He does. There might be others that He took more seriously than you and I do, but there are some that He doesn't. It says we're to grow up in every way. So that means anything you can imagine. You've got to grow up in your marriage. I don't know how you're ever going to grow up going to church one and a half times a week. I worry about this. I worry, I think we should probably go to church somewhere, somehow, every day. Now, whether that's you and your wife reading your Bible together, or you and your friends at Starbucks having coffee, I don't know what that is, but you, you need to give Jesus, and you need to give the Father God and the Spirit of God more than an hour and a half of passive listening a week to, to grow up, because you won't grow up. You're going to grow up when you, go to, when you go to Starbucks, or you go to the kitchen table, and you open your Bible, and you begin to say stuff back and forth to each other. Even if you disagree with it, even if you say, I don't think I like what David said on Sunday morning. And, and here's what he said that I don't like. And your spouse says, well, here's what he said that I like that I didn't like. You can handle it. You can handle it. And you begin to make choices. And every time you handle it, every time you say it, it gets deeper yeah. into your heart. So why didn't you like that? It's because I don't want to behave like that. Oh, well, let's talk about that. No, let's don't. 
The Spirit of God says, yay, I got them right where I want them. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into him who is the head. We're back in 15. Into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, this is a small thing. It's a preposition. But uh, one wise man said one time, you can tell the gospel, you can understand the gospel by the prepositions and the pronouns. And uh, this, is, this is a big deal. Because they're very explicit in Greek. They're very direct. They're very, very much meaningful. And we would just look at that and say, we grew up in every way who is the head in, in Christ. We're going to grow up into Christ. We're going to, we're going to grow into Christ. But we all know Jesus said that, that uh, the Spirit's already in us. And we know that we're already in Christ. So, so this somehow is pointing to a different direction than it's like just being a Christian, right? We're going to grow up in what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it says. It says we're going to grow up into Christ, and while it might seem thin, almost every translation actually says grow up into Christ. And that could mean become more mature. But I think in its largest sense it means to grow up into an expression of Christ. To grow up into Christ so that when you gather together in the city church, when you gather together in this mess, when you gather together at, at McDonald's, when you gather together with your family at Christmas time, when you gather together around him, somehow he is expressed in that. You grow up into Christ, so Christ, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, ready to do what you ask. So there's something about all of us coming together as fully engaged, supporting citizens of the body of Christ, where we could come together, we could ask anything. It's not just about what happens up here. It's what everybody out here believes and where they're engaged and how they're going to connect and, and whether they're going to do their part, which I cannot make you do because I can't even imagine what it is. You're going to do your part to reflect Christ. Well, I'm going to do my part. My part, Gene's part, Pastor John's part, you, it's a paradox. You look at it, you think that's the hard part, but our part's easy. Our, our prescription for how to obey and what to do is pretty simple. It's pretty direct. We stand up and we put something in our heart and we speak it. And that might be your part too on a different scale. But that's what you have to do, and that's what we all have to do to grow up into Christ. And the world will not change until the man Christ Jesus is unveiled inside of his body around the world. That's what's going to change the world. It's not a new doctrine. It's not a new style. It's the expression of who Christ is. So it says we're going to grow up into Him. Now flip back up the page or behind you one page and look in chapter 3 for a minute. And we're going to look at this second prayer that Paul prayed over in Ephesians. And we won't look at all of it. And I, and I do like have a point to make. I have like one point. There might be surrounding points, but... For this reason, he says in 14, we'll read the whole thing. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, from whom all families in heaven and on earth are named. They derive their nature. Family derives its nature. And it's a play on words in the, in the Greek. Uh, the word family is just a, just a slight change of a couple of letters from the word Father. So family and father are identical. They're the same idea. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now here's what I want you to read just, just for now. I want, you to, I want you to remember that he's writing this letter to born-again believers. 
Can I get a witness? And that according to Acts 19, he's, he's writing this letter to a church that is a Spirit-filled church. Because in Acts 19, Paul said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we don't know of any such thing. So it prayed for them and it said there were about 12 men in that initial group that got filled with the Spirit. Which we would presume was evidenced by the speaking of tongues because it was, it was clear and it was seen that something happened. Some, something was demonstrable. It wasn't just something they had to take by faith. Something happened. They were all filled with the Spirit. And we're going we're gonna to safely, I believe, assume that they, that they did speak in tongues. So he's writing this letter to people that have had a spiritual experience. He's writing this people to, to you. You're born again. You've been filled with the Spirit. But he's saying to you, he changes his tone in this prayer. He changes the, the cases of, of the word, the directions where he's going. And he says again in verse 16, that he may grant you. So evidently that hasn't been granted yet. He may grant you to be strengthened. So evidently they're not strong yet. Or you wouldn't say, I'm praying for you to be strong. I'm, I, and he's not just saying I'm praying for you to be strong. He's saying I'm praying for you to increase in strength. I'm praying for you to increase with strength and power through his spirit in your inner being. We're going to come back to that. So that, so apparently whatever so that's for hadn't happened yet. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you're born again. And according to the overall teaching of the New Testament, Christ lives in your heart. Can I get a witness? And you live in Christ. But would anybody be humble and yet strong enough to admit to me that there's more room in their heart for Christ to dwell? All right. And would you, would you further be willing to examine your own state without raising your hand or talking right now and say to yourself, huh, is there more of Christ in my life than there was this time last month? This time last year? Or am I, am I just coasting along? Fitting in with the crowd, making sure I might get a C plus this week, making sure I'm staying connected to the general body, but am I really being the best version of me that I can be? Am I letting him, I just got cold in here, Am I letting him be the best version of expression through me that he could be? Now, Darnold, I'm not going to ask you to work harder. I'm not, I'm not, as far as I know, going to try to get you to repent of anything. I'm just talking about the human condition. I'm not saying anybody's failed or done a thing wrong. I'm saying it's the nature of the case to have seeds planted in your heart and life that if you don't nurture them and water them, if you don't work at them, and you've got busy lives, they're not going to take root. They're not going to grow. They're not going to become more than just seeds in the ground. He says, I'm praying for you people. I know you got born again. I know you got spirit filled. I know you spoke in tongues. He said, I'm praying for you people that you will increase in strength. So evidently they weren't strong yet. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So evidently there's some room there for more of Christ to dwell in their hearts. That you then, we could say, I'm, I'm adding that myself, but being rooted and grounded in love because Christ is dwelling and Christ is going to increasingly dwell in your hearts, you may have strength. Here's what the strength is for. 
to comprehend with all the saints, whoever reads this letter and whoever avails themselves, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Jean preached this one time years ago. And I've never forgotten the point that she made. Uh, you, I read that, and I'm a pretty simple guy. I read that, and I think that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge means that I can't, even, I can't even understand what it is. And just between me and you, I think if I can't understand what it is, I probably, it's not good economy to try to spend any effort and time to figure out what it is. If I can't understand what it is anyway, I might as well just kind of let it flow by. Yeah, because if, if, if you just told me there's a mystery, and I'm not going to understand the mystery... Can't we just watch TV or something? Because <laughs> if I'm not going to get it, I don't need something else to feel like I don't get. So if I'm not going to get it, but Jean didn't present it like that. She presented it like this. The love of God that surpasses knowledge like I know what you've done. And my love is big enough that it goes beyond knowing what you've done. I, and, and you know, both statements have to be true. There is an increasing love that we won't ever get, that we won't ever understand, but that doesn't keep us from pursuing it because if we don't pursue it, we'll never be able to overlook the people in our life whom we have knowledge of, who our knowledge says to us, they're not worthy of my trust. They're not worthy of my love. They're not worthy of me trying this one more time. But yet the scripture says that you can have a love, that you can know the love, that four-dimensional love that only exists if you can be right in the middle of it, above you, beneath you, in front of you, and behind you. That love that so encompasses you, it's not just ahead of you in your future, it's behind you in your past, it's beside you, it's above you, it's beneath you. The only way that ever happens is if you somehow have a relationship with the Lord who doesn't actually live here today except for how He lives in you, powered by your Spirit, if you can have a relationship with Him on your own Bible reading, if you can have a relationship with Him as you touch people in your life and as they touch you, so that you do begin to see what that love is like and what more it can be. You do begin to come up to a higher place where you can forgive people for being human. And what a wonderful thing. You can forgive yourself for making bad choices. You can forgive yourself for being a human being yourself. You can forgive yourself for having to go over the same ground again and again in some cases. You can forgive somebody seven times 70, not because you got a good calculator, but because your heart's not keeping score. Not because you tried to get through the day in the midnight so you can start your seven times 70 again, but because your heart's not keeping score because you don't want to be a scorekeeper. That's beneath you. It's beneath you. It's beneath the one who lives on the inside of you to keep score. It's beneath you to be reminded, to remind yourself of where they've let you down and hurt you. It's beneath you. It's beneath the dignity bestowed on you. But being beneath you doesn't mean you won't drink of that polluted water from time to time unless you have a Intimate fellowship with Him that refreshes you from those springs of eternal water that we talked about earlier. And He may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So apparently, evidently, they weren't filled with the fullness of God. Or He wouldn't have had to pray this. 
They might have had the potential for it, but they weren't there yet. Because he's praying for them now to have it after that profound prayer in chapter 1. And it goes on, it says, and this is the verse where Gene exhorted and I'll leave off there. Because he does do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. But it's not saying, hey, you know what? You want a Volkswagen? Bub, I'm going to give you a Dodge Ram truck with a diesel in it. <laughs> and not that sissy Ram diesel they got now, but that Cummins diesel. That one that everybody wants, that they pay almost the same price for the one that's 10 years old, that's the one that's brand new. They want you to have that. I want you to have the best. He's not just saying that. In the context, he's saying, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ask or think. I'm going to show you how to love so profoundly, so well, that it absolutely brings healing wherever you go. You could never imagine that you could do that and forgive and surpass and go beyond that and be right in the middle of that and know how much I love you. And you're right in the middle of it, no matter what tries to infringe on the top or the bottom or the back, or your past tries to follow your future, where you've stumbled, where you fell. He said, I got you. I got you like you are double enveloped. You are really protected. Nobody's going to get to you. And you are going to say, my God loves me. He loves me. And he says, yes, I do. And why don't you just take some of that? And why don't you see what it's like to go love somebody else the same way? Because not everybody's got the same clever insights you've got. They're lonely. They're broken. They're stark. They're defeated. They, even in the church... They have the theory, but they don't have the eternity. They don't have the experience. So walk with me. Walk with me. Grow. Increase. Let me teach you. Let me show you who I am. You don't have to do this right now. Just watch what I do. I saw how you did that. and I've got words to say, and I open up my mouth and blurt those words out, and it gives grace to the hearer. Mm-hmm. It gives grace to the hearer. Where'd that grace come from? It's His grace. It gives mm-hmm. grace for life. Powered by the love of God. Back up in verse uh, 16, I think. Yeah. Here's where we're going we're gonna to play with in your inner being for just a few minutes, and then I'm done. Oh, the, you you can study this out. You need to study this out. This is one of those funny prepositions again. And sometimes, sometimes prepositions are left out. Sometimes they have to surmise and extract and work backwards to what's being said. But this, this always is read to me like the Spirit of God is going to come and fix, 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 so that I can do these things. He's going to find my inner man. How many of we know we have an inner man? He's going to come and say, oh, I'm not doing very good. I'm not doing very happy right now. And, uh, and I'm, things aren't going well. And I don't feel loved and I can't love anybody. It's because I don't feel loved, but I can't love anybody. But not being able to love anybody is really wearing me out, and I don't feel loved either. And I don't, I don't have these things. I don't have any victory in life. I have a theory of victory, but I don't have any victory in life. And so, would somebody pray for me for God to fix me, for God to strengthen me? So they come along and it's fix, 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 fix. Oh, good. He's like tuned it up and replaced a broken part, R and R. He's fixed something here. But there's more in the verse. There's more in the thought. 
And it says, some of the best things I can find to study, that it carries with it the idea of infusing. So it's not really talking about outside, coming in, finding a broken part, fix, fix, fix. The idea is like when you take tea leaves and put them in the water and pour the boiling water on them, how they puff up, how, it, how the water seems to get inside of them. Is that clear? Yes. So they're infused. They're, they're soggy now. They're, they're big. They expand. But what do they expand with? They expand with the water that was poured over them. They were dried and they were shrivelly. But the water that's poured over them, the water it doesn't just fix, fix, fix on the outside. It changes their nature. So there's evidently a picture in this verse where he's saying, I appreciate the fact that you're born again. I know you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit. But there's more, and you need more. Or you're just going to limp through life. You need to be infused. We need to pour the water of the Spirit on you so that that water itself, so that the Holy Spirit itself soaks down on the inside of you, soaks down on the inside of you, finds those dry, shriveled spots, find those wounded, bruised leaves, find those places where it's broken, and somehow becomes one with your Spirit. We think about being filled with the Spirit, and I don't know how we imagine it, and I don't know how I've ever thought about it, but sometimes, sometimes I think there's this, I get this container in here, and there's, there's my Spirit, my Spirit, my Spirit, and then there's the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. But the Scriptures are pretty plain and indicate, I think, to a common understanding. Correct me, John, just not now, but correct me. If, if, uh, if you need to, correct me now. That they that they commingle, that they overlap, that they that that you carry the spirit of the Lord around on the inside of your spirit. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to carry a liquid around inside of a container. That uh, the container's impervious. The liquid the liquid stays in the container. It doesn't ever seek into it. But you know, if you poured a liquid into untempered, untempered clay. Even if it was hard and it was dry, but if you pour the liquid into the untempered clay, then eventually the liquid leaches out into the clay. And it begins to soak up. The clay soaks it up. I see no reason to think that the picture that God's trying to draw for all of us is that I want you to have a relationship with me, but you're not strong enough, smart enough, or don't have enough time to have a relationship with me out of your own capacities or ability. So I've given you someone to come live on the inside of you. He wants to soak into the very fiber of your being. He wants to soak into the very fiber of your spirit, the very fiber of your soul. So what was dry, what was brittle, what was empty, what was cracked. Some things that are cracked because they're dry and they don't fit properly when they get moistened again, they swell up when the leaking stops. Some substances. You need to have, I need to have a relationship with the Spirit of God mm-hmm. that absolutely so fills me up yeah. that Jesus is not a distant family relative, a member that's 
far removed, someone I see on occasion, but that he is drawn ever closer, ever nearer and dearer into my own heart and life. The scripture says, Jesus said, you know him now for he is with you, but he shall be in you. He shall be in you. Well, we need constant refillings. We need constant refreshings. We need constant increase. Be being filled. Infused. Stand up with me if you would.